Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. My family had a long tradition. After finishing dinner, we'd often tuck into a debate. We'd argue politics. We'd argue economics. We'd argue art. We'd argue whether I needed a haircut. Every once in a while, we'd even argue religion. But one thing, no matter what we were debating, no matter what we were discussing, we had on the kitchen table a shelf, and on that shelf we had everything we needed to conduct a debate. We had an atlas. We had a hymnal. We had a thesaurus. We had an encyclopedia. And most important of all, uh, Lord forgive me, we did have a Bible, but that only applied to debates of religion. The most important book was a dictionary. Because the first order of business in conducting a debate is to define your terms. Now I talk about the seasons of of the liturgical calendar. I like the seasons, I like the colors, I like how it brings some order to the way we think about our relationship with God. And this is a season of epiphany. But I'd call it more a season of definitions. Because whenever we start talking about epiphany, we have to come up with a definition of epiphany. And the season of epiphany comes up, it ends with today, Transfiguration Sunday. Transfiguration, another word that needs definition. So a couple of weeks ago, I went back to my old definition of epiphany as a moment of sudden and striking revelation or understanding. Epiphanies make us call out, oh, I get it. Or, oh, I hadn't really understood that until now. Oh, so that's what it means. I see. We celebrate the season of Epiphany with Bible readings that consist of these moments of sudden revelation. The arrival of the three kings, the three wise men, is often considered the Epiphany. But there's also the presentation of baby Jesus at the temple, a presentation where Simeon was waiting and when seeing the babe, burst into song. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people. At last, Simeon says, I see. And there's the 12-year-old Jesus, astounding those in the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus' first miracle at Cana, of course, and the dove alighting on Jesus' head when John the Baptist blessed him with water. In fact, there's so many of these aha moments that we can't even come close to remembering every single one of them in any one season of epiphany. Our epiphanies are more than can be contained in a single year. 
This year, in fact, our lectionary celebrates the epiphanies that make up the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first act of public ministry. And we remember it begins, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And suddenly, to a world where it was certainly believed, the blessings of wealth and power showed how much God admired us. That isn't what heaven is about. Heaven isn't a continuation, an extension of that world. Instead, heaven is revealed as welcoming those who come in humility, who come poor in spirit, those who recognize that God hasn't awarded us for what we are or what we've done. God has given us everything. Heaven is the surprise ending, comforting those who mourn and those who hunger for righteousness. And we later learn, first through Jesus' teachings and then through his crucifixion and his resurrection, we learn the why of the happy ending. But the grace of Jesus Christ is not a carte blanche. It's not a free pass to do anything without compunction, without guilt. The Sermon on the Mount moves from this gentle Jesus of welcoming the poor in spirit to admonishing those who fail in action. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Murderers are liable for judgment. But so are those who are angry with their brother. Adultery? Bad. But it's just as bad to so much as look at someone with lust in your heart. Divorce, swearing of oaths, retaliation, all liable to judgment. So how do we reconcile these two Jesuses? Tough Jesus, who is doing nothing to lighten the impact of a demanding law. And if anything, he's interpreting it more strictly. How do we reconcile that tough Jesus with gentle Jesus, who tells the meek that they shall inherit the earth? I believe that the key to understanding, the key to reconciling these two Jesuses is that transgressors of the law, murderers, adulterers, adulterers, us, 
we are liable to judgment. But most importantly, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't say that we are liable to punishment. So that's the aha moment of Jesus when he is stating that the law still applies. The principles that God has drawn up for us to live our lives have not changed one bit. What has changed is that God has given us a lifeline, literally a lifeline, to those who seek to grasp it. And that lifeline, of course, is Jesus Christ revealed to us in today's account of the transfiguration. And so we move to our second definition, transfiguration, a complete change of form or appearance, particularly into a more beatific state, a state of holy bliss. This is the final, well, not the final, but the ultimate epiphany. To Peter, James, and John on that moment, or on that mountain, their aha moment was, oh yeah, Jesus is right up there with the big ones, Moses, Elijah. Wow, what a sudden revelation. Uh, Not quite, said God himself. Jesus isn't up there with Moses and Elijah. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. At which point, I presume, Peter, John, and James said, oh, that epiphany, that aha moment. And they were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, do not be afraid. Have no fear. In appearance, Jesus was transfigured. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. But the sudden revelation to those three disciples and on that mountain, and actually that sudden revelation to all of us who read or hear this account, is more than an epiphany. It's more even than a transfiguration. It is more than Jesus' appearance being changed. Instead, what we have is a transformation. This fact changes everything. The Son of Man, a helpless babe whose birth we celebrated just a couple of months ago, is the Son of God on whose word alone we are vouchsafed into heaven. With that understanding, can we go back and take a look at some of the other epiphanies that we've celebrated this season? Back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We learn that we are expected to do more than just not murder somebody or not commit adultery or not swear false oaths. For blessed are we who are merciful and who strive to make peace. We learn that we are the salt of the earth. 
we are the light of the world, that the world is dependent on us to add flavor and to provide illumination. We learn that loving our neighbor means also to love our enemies. And later we learn that loving our neighbors as ourselves isn't even quite up to the mark. Instead, we should, leave, we should love our neighbors as, in Jesus' word, I have loved you. That we should love our neighbors as we are loved by God. So we are given these epiphanies, these sudden revelations about what we should have in mind when we come to God. We have these sudden revelations about what God really is, what his heaven is, what it means to us. But at the end of the day, if we add them all up, these are more than just a bunch of little bits of insight that have been shared with us. Instead, what is revealed to us is that we ourselves are transfigured, not in appearance, but in form, that we are changed from worshipers of God to the instruments of God. We might not shine like the sun. Our clothes might not be as white as light. But we are, because of Jesus' sacrifice, the sons and daughters of God. And like Jesus, we are to spread the word of God, making disciples as we go. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen.